the optimal life. So you've got quite a story. Uh, you've gone through a lot of different things uh, when it comes to your sons. And I want to get to ultimately your book and, and really the catalyst behind our conversation. But take us back to some of the earlier years. You have three boys. When did you see all of them? Was it at different stages that each of them started having issues with substances? Or were, was it, you know, a certain point in time where you kind of saw them all going go up here here goes the next one here it goes how did that all unfold yeah there was a tipping point and it was fairly distinct um and also kind of unexpected to be honest because i had you know we we raised them they were they were close in age um i don't know three three sons in four and a half years something like that five years so it's close um but and you know we were a normal family and it was right about adolescence when um when things started to get a little bit weird, um, I had been a pastor out of college for a few years, and then I was asked to go back into the, oh, sorry about that, that was for our podcast. I was asked to go back into the ministry as my three sons were just entering adolescence. So all of a sudden, you know, that was fine for a while. Um, but then this weird kind of minister son of the minister thing starts happening my son it, it was a sophomore college at the time made the varsity basketball team starts getting popular all of a sudden things start getting squirrely and then my other son was right behind him also a good ball player you know so they start kind of getting into this universe that was kind of new to us and then substances start coming in and it just it was this perfect storm of being the pastor's son you know dealing with girls and all the stuff that goes along with high school with me not handling a few things right that just it just it kind of became a tornado that i i lost control i mean it just it completely spun out of control you mentioned about, sophomore in college did you mean sophomore in high I school meant, i meant high school yeah. okay so around 15 16 years old they start uh do you feel that they were rebelling against you because of the atmosphere that they were exposed to growing up in what we'll call maybe a more religious environment yeah they were they were and at first it was great i mean they were all in it was it was it was it was good but then it became um so so there was a time when my son he was about uh, just starting his sophomore year my oldest he just said look dad i've been a member of the the youth group and i'm, I'm you know but but i'm not i'm not I can't do it anymore. And I was cool with it. I was fine. But then about a year later, that's when the real tipping point happened, when he starts to, you know, to live a very different life. And I get pressure from my higher ups, right? Parents in the church. And all of a sudden, I got all this pressure from up here and I got pressure from him. And that's when it became a tornado. Mm. That, that's when it really, the tipping point happened where there was one point where he asked to go to a winter formal <laughs> It's kind of weird that it was just a dance, high school dance. But I but I sensed in my house, I sensed with him, if I said no, he was going to freak out. And yet I was getting a ton of pressure and I said no. And guess what? He freaked out. And I just, I didn't follow my gut and it just, that's when it all started. So a couple of things there. You mentioned that you were getting pressure from the community. You were getting pressure from the higher ups, the people that were in your ear chirping. Why were they giving you pressure? Did they know that your son 
What was it going around town that that your son was a, a misfit or causing issues? What, what how were they privy to that information? Well, when I say higher ups, I mean in the in the church I was a part of at the time, right? Uh-huh. My senior pastor was pressuring me to draw a line, a hard line, a harder line in my family. That was the pressure. Some of the parents in the church were wanting because yes, my son was starting to get a reputation. Starts living a free life, you know, going to certain parties. Word gets around. Right, they're going. They're going. Son. Ken's Ken's oldest son. There, we got to keep an eye on this kid. What's going on here? And the second one too. And the second so one. They, they were only about a grade apart. They're a grade apart. Yeah. And it starts to just get weird. And then I had a choice: either go with my gut, go, go do do raise them with kind of the ethos that I always had. Or give in to the pressure. And I'll be honest, Nate, I, I gave in. I did. So when you say you gave in, what, is, what did that look like? What were you doing differently then? I mean, ostensibly, I said no to the wear formal. And then he just freaked. And then he and then he freaked, but then his brother and he, who, who were close but not super close, they got super close. And over the ensuing months, they start to really team up against my wife and I and create this really crazy atmosphere, start acting out in front of, at the church. And it just, it just created this mm-hmm. really testy environment where then I say, well, I'm going to kick some ass here and I'm going to draw some lines and screw you. You're not going to do that. Right. And so then all of a sudden it's the war and then there's popularity and there's just all these things that happen and it just went out of control. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you actually wanted to <clears throat> loosen the reins a bit. You saw your sons were getting older. They might have had a different outlook on the way they wanted to live their life. You actually wanted to follow your gut and say, hey, I'm going to give them a little more leeway, a little more flexibility. They want to go to the dance. Like That's kind of the way you felt it would be It would be okay to do that. However, the other side of the community uh, on the religious side, they were saying you got to stay hard. You got to stay firm. You got to be super conservative with these way that you're delivering the message. So you ended up going that route. So looking back, I mean, I would assume that once this thing started spiraling out of control and then you guys began this long, year-long uh, issues with the kids and, and the substances and et cetera, you must have had a lot of, uh, I would imagine, regret that you didn't stick to your senses and stick to your gut. Well, let me comment on what you said. So that's exactly you, – you you encapsulated it perfectly. I had I had – parented, fathered my sons a certain way for 15 years. And it was a little more open. It was more real. Like when my son came to me for, you know, he doesn't want to be part of my, I'm the minister and he doesn't want to be part of my youth group. It's like, that's weird. But I was like, look, son, that's you. That's between you and God. You, you have to do what you have to do. I, right. So that, that's how I parented, but then I changed. So yes, I, I did. Um, I did change and it was a very decided point. Did I regret it? I'll be honest, Nate. I didn't even really realize it until the last few years. I I know you may think, well, how the hell did you not know what you did? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know why I didn't. I, I, I journaled about it. I talked to my wife endlessly about it. I, I mean, for years, it really was in writing the book that, 
I'm writing it, I'm writing scenes, I'm writing things. And then my my sons, you know, now we're super close. Like all three of my boys married, great women. They live near me. We get together every Sunday afternoon for pickleball and we get in the jacuzzi. And it was in the jacuzzi. I know that's weird. <laughs> but it was in the jacuzzi where we were talking about, hey man, I wrote this chapter. Do you guys remember this scene? When I, you, Jess, when you and I were in and out or when this happened and all of a sudden, it, it, and this was about two years ago, it starts to come clear to me where things went wrong, what I did, the mistakes that I made. And, and yes. Yeah, so do I regret it now? Yes. Hmm. Would I follow my gut now and not give in to pressure of whoever it is, whether it's a churchy or, or you're or an in-law who's looking down their nose at you for how you parent. I don't care. I, I think Nate, and I know you got three daughters, it, it, one father to another, if I could say one thing, it'd be follow what you really genuinely believe that you should do. Mm. That that would be the singular and most important thing is to is to follow and to learn to listen to your gut because your gut gets shouted out, right? You got pressure from an ex-wife or a wife or whatever, right? You got all these pressures, right. an in-law, uh, whomever. And I think, and sometimes it's kind of hard to know what your gut, you got to educate your gut. You're not sure what your gut is. But I think if you work at it as a parent, if you work at it and you try to listen, you learn to listen to your gut, I think it will lead you well. That's phenomenal advice. I mean, if if, if somebody is done already with our podcast, they can turn it off now. They already got a golden nugget that they should take with them literally for the rest of time. Uh, that's extremely powerful hearing you say it the way you just, the way you articulated it. Um, that's said. Can I add though, one so, thing to that, Nate. Yes, please. If you're, if you're in a relationship, raising some kids, it's the mutual gut also. So it's your gut, but it's not just you. Like I didn't just parent these kids. Joyce, my wife, she parented them. Right. And I, I've got to figure out how to stay married, follow my gut, right and figure out what what to do and so it, it is uh, someone called me yesterday who's having real trouble with their 16 year old and the wife has one posture and he has another he's a military guy he wants to kick ass take no names you know and i said well tell me what your wife's posture is well her posture. okay you can follow you got all you want you're going to follow it to lose your kids and you're going to get divorced <laughs> mm. and that's not so as a whether it's an ex or a, a fiance or a wife or what any any combo of things in raising your kids, the gut is is multi-layered. It's not just yours. It's the whole a composite of all of them. Right. It's a it's a totality of the circumstances kind of analysis. Yeah. Yep. And um that that definitely makes a lot of sense. But you mentioned that looking back, you would have done things differently. So I want to dig into a little bit of that. Um for parents that are listening right now that may have kids that are going into those teenage years into high school. First question is what are some of the signs that you saw looking back the, the, the things that really people should be on the lookout for. And then ultimately give us some examples too of, of what you would have done differently. If you can do it again. Let me answer the second question first. What I would have done differently is for example, at this tipping point of the dance. And again, it was all these things months leading up to it. it you know, it, 
altercations with Jess was my son, you know, just challenge, just tension. And you know when there's tension. And then he's 16 something, but you know, I think he's 16, 17 by this point. Right. So the acne is breaking out. The hormones are flowing. Like, you know, you're, you're dealing with a subhuman here. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I would have just said, yes. Are you kidding me? It's a dance. There's a lot of worse things out there than, than the dance. And, and, and I think, um, you know, what that, th- those are the kind of things I would have done differently. And I saw signs like that. I knew, come on, you know, your son, you know, your daughter, and some of them are are compliant and they want to please you. And of course they want to please you at, at 10 and 11. And then things start to change and, and you're going to adjust and you've got to figure out how to adjust. Um, and, and I would say to adjust. This gentleman called me yesterday and, and his son is listening to rap music that is um, ungodly. Just like he says, I listened to, to like 30 seconds of it the other day. He told me... <laughs> He goes, I, I had no idea that there was such vitriol in music. And yet his son is is bopping to this in his earbuds around the house. And so, you know, Nate, I don't know how you would do what you would do. And I don't even think there's a right answer to this. Maybe you would draw the line, grab the earbuds, throw them in the water and ground him from technology for a month. I don't know what you would do. I'm not even sure what the right thing is. But I said to him, I said, well, what if you did that? Because, again, he's a military guy. That's what he wants to do. So that's a sign. What do you do with the sign? I mean, how you know, old is his son, Ken? His son's uh, 16. So it's that, it's that same age, that same sophomore age. year. I could drive now. I'm going through more puberty, adolescence. I'm, I'm my own man. And, uh, and I'm going to listen to some hardcore hip hop. And I'm gonna. And, and the, then he's the got, issue is not necessarily the the hip hop because we all used to listen to it too, driving around. I remember we were then, all bumping Bone Thugs and Biggie Biggie and Tupac and all that kind of stuff. The issue is that he's blasting it in the house, which is the parents' domain, and that he's ignoring well, it's his, his father. With yeah, it's in his earbuds blasting, and he's ignoring everyone, everything that's going on yeah. around him in the home. Yeah, that's right. The, so where do you draw? What's the sign? That, well, I mean, he could be listening. I'm sorry, Ken. He could be listening yeah. to uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, and, and it's the, still the same. It's the same uh, uh, result. You're ignoring everybody in the house. Yeah, yeah. So there's that issue, and then there's the content itself. And so, what is right? There's. I don't think there's a manual. I think in no. this case, if he does it, he's seen this in his son. His son has that rebellious gene. He's got some mental health issues. He's exhibited some things that are scary. You know, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to have to manage this. We can't draw a line like we could three years ago. Correct. So that's a I'll very on- tough situation. It's very tough. It's, it's very, very tricky. Tough. And you're right. There is not one size fits all because it all depends really on the child himself. Some ki- some kids will rebel if you tell them a flat out no, and some kids do need a tough love kind of, and then there's something in the middle. Yeah, and again, that's probably very multi layered, multi faceted issue that he's embarking upon right now because if there's the music and the earbuds thing and, and ignoring the parents, there's got to be other things going on. 
there sounds are. like they need a sit down. <laughs> they yeah, need they a hard to start. She, yeah. she just graduated with a, you know, a, a social in a social science, and she's really, the wife, the mom is is amazing, like just attuned. He is a, an amazing dad. You know what I mean? And they got three other kids coming up. That they're great parents. <laughs> I right. think. I mean, I look at all like. I don't know parents that care more about their kids than you guys do. I literally don't know anyone. And right. yet there's some challenges with this. And they're going, why in- us? What did we do wrong? What's going on here? That's what I said. That's the to way myself. they're feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and listen, it's a lonely time. You you, you got to nip that stuff in the bud. Uh, you really do. I don't know if it's the, it's, it's probably a different approach depending again, who the um, target is, who is the, the, the child himself or herself. But uh, there has to be some level of firmness um, because the, I, I've seen the kids, the kids whose parents are the complete other extreme, the ones that are disconnected, neglectful, not don't care. Those kids end up nine times out of 10. They're way worse in the long run than the kids whose parents are more on the strict side. But Nate, what I have seen, so I'm 63, right? And I've been in the kind of the people business and I, you know, anyway, 63. Right. And and what well, you look, what his, I got to tell you, you look damn good. Oh, Everything you. you guys have gone through, my friend, <laughs> it, it must be that California sun. Oh, come on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for every, but all the parents I've seen, all the kids that went off the rails, all the kids that did great, all the, I mean, I have seen everything in it. What 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 freaking frustrates me is there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or a reason. I have seen the neglectful parent, their kid go to the Air Force Academy. <laughs> I have seen the neurotic parent, kid gets on opioids. I saw it in my own household. And again, I'm not the perfect parent, but I'm a I'm a decent per parent. Joyce, my wife, she's freaking school teacher. You know, we we loved our kids, and yet we we saw some crazy stuff for 10 years. And and I I don't say that to frustrate a parent. I, I guess I say it just to go back to my own idea, and that is you got to stick with what you believe you should do. And then, and I think also control what you can control and then have it have be try to be at peace with what you can't control. The old serenity prayer, as corny as that is. Yes, you can, at 16, 17, you can still control. You yeah. can draw some lines. And, you, and if you if that's what you need to do, want to do and feel like you should do, you should do it. But there comes a point where you have to kind of start loosening the grip. Mm. Okay, so that's what you would have done uh, differently. Uh, is what 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 are some signs? If parents, obviously, you don't need much of a sign when you see somebody blaring music and ignoring you in your house. That's that's a troubling sign. But what are some other maybe subtle signs that either you have seen or that through your experience other people have shared with you that hey, if you're a parent, keep an eye on these things. I don't have a handy list for you. I'll be honest with you. You know, beyond what you would you would think, um, you know, personality traits. Obviously, uh, you have three girls, correct? Correct. And uh, are they different from each other? Oh yeah, they're all different. I mean, you kind of see, you know, what they're like, and then it teaches you kind of how to handle them. In other words, two of my boys are are pretty strong willed. The older two. And, and so when I see signs of them exercising their, their will, 
you know, I'm probably not just going to clamp down. I'm going to, I'm going to try to work with him. I have a grandson now. He's seven. You know, so I see the same things. He's kind of that stronger wheel. My granddaughter's a little bit less. So, you know, when I see signs, will, independence, you know, a propensity, a tendency to kind of lie or whatever, right? Mm. How you handle it. I mean, the signs are the signs. You, I mean, it's just all—it's just personality or behavior things that. Well, one you know, thing I, that I think I'm kind of hearing from you too is, yes, your children are different. Know your children, and then when you start seeing them acting out of their norm, whatever that might be, I think if you've got a kid that's typically outgoing and bubbly and and open, yes. and then they become more withdrawn all of a sudden, that's something that okay, there's something going on here. I think that's kind of what you're saying. It's not, again, it's not one size fits all. There's not a checklist, but if somebody's but, not acting in the normal course and they start changing quickly, dig into that. Exactly. And you as a parent with your girls, they have your DNA, right? They've, they, they're, they're I'm sure you see things they do. You go, <laughs> that's me. Ouch. <laughs> they inherited that. Ouch. Yeah, funny. Right. But you, you have this uncanny ability to connect with them like nobody else. You just do like I do. I know exactly. And now that my sons are in their mid thirties, you know, it's, it's just, it's hilarious to watch. We just see, we laugh at, at how much we're alike. And so, yes, when you see those signs, you know what to do is drawing a hard line, what you do maybe with one of the kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the other, it's to, it's to take a drive where they relax because things are passing them, right? You don't have to look at each other and you just take a drive and you, you get a burger and you're still not looking at each other and you can talk. And all of a sudden you notice your daughter opens up in the car or you notice when you walk somewhere or whatever, you're, you're going to figure out where, if I need to open her up, where can I do it? And then you're going to figure it out how to do it. How old is uh your Lucas? What which one was he? The second or third? Lucas is yeah, he's thirty six now. He was your second son or your third son? Second. Okay. Yeah. So Lucas followed in his big brother's footsteps as you were talking. You, you know, he he had his tipping point. He wasn't allowed to go to the dance. Lucas was following in the same footsteps, and they started getting into uh, alcohol very young age. What other stuff? When did they start getting into? The, there was other substance abuse. If you don't mind getting into some of that, what were some of those substances, and how old were they when they started using? It was weed and alcohol in high school, right about their junior year, junior senior. I, you know, I didn't really. I knew, but I didn't know. It was obviously under. It was. It was outside of our home for sure. Um, but you know, I knew. I knew who they're hanging out with, and uh, of course, you know, about senior year, it becomes pretty clear. So it, that was it. There was no opioids in high school. <clears throat> uh, they weren't that prevalent as they are right now, especially uh, fentanyl. But um, yeah, so it was weed and alcohol at first. They they did better. You know, we, there was that tipping point, and then we we kind of pulled the family back. They you know they tried to. It it was normal. I ended up resigning the ministry. <clears throat> I left that church. You know, and I resigned because you needed to focus more on the family unit. I resigned for mainly because my family was kind of imploding (laughs) as a family oriented church and to have two sons completely spinning out of control, you know, and then there was was that was that embarrassing for you too to be around those people? It had to be. It was painful. That was painful. Yeah. And and again, they're all they're all making you feel naturally they're, they're casting judgment. Little do we know what's going on inside some of their homes as well. 
Well, uh, that's true. And I'll be honest, Nate, they, they were fine. Most of them were fine. They 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 loved us. They 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 trusted us. They knew what kind of people we were. So I, I'm not going to poo-poo the church. Church was fine. I just couldn't stay. I was embarrassed. I had to sure. leave. I I couldn't even go to church anymore. Um, I couldn't even put my head in a church. I, I was just, you know, it was confusing with God and just what does all this mean? How can my family do this when I prioritize like I did? How does did this you happen? Lose faith? Did you? Did, what was your relationship with God? I, it had to be I, strained at that point. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was like, how does this happen? How does this happen to me? Like, um, how do you rationalize putting God first? And then your family does what my family did. It was, it was, I mean, it got to where I was just completely numb. I couldn't open the Bible. All it, all it did was make me think about things. I couldn't, uh, walk into a church, God forbid. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just went. And this was your whole life. I mean, I want people to understand this was your life's practice. How long were you in ministry for at this point? Ten years after college, and then five years here, where I live, Santa Clarita. Okay, I mean that's a long, that was a that's long a time. lot of years, days, and hours of devote devotion to religion, to spirituality, to God. And you're preaching, and you're 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 preaching and helping all these other families. And here you are, leaving the church because you're you're going well. What the hell is all this about? I've been doing doing God's work, and this is how I'm getting paid back. <laughs> You're very good at summarizing me. I do. I do have to give that to you. <laughs> no, Thank I mean you. that's exactly how I felt. Right? It's like, are you kidding me? So yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was a very dark several years. Right? Because my, my my sons, who I've been very close to for 15 years, I mean they're just being knuckle, complete knuckleheads. Um, church didn't work for me. Thank God, work work worked out okay, and um, and I just went silent. I just I just was very I was hanging. I never shook my fist at God. I never cursed him. I never I didn't I didn't go that far. Uh, I'm just not wired that way. But but it was it was numbness for several years. Mm, wow. Yeah. And we'll get to how you regained your faith in God uh, as we continue this conversation. Let's get into more on this. We're, we're getting ultimately to what, what led you to write your book. So talk to us again. Let's go back to Lucas, your second son. He goes off to, uh, he goes off to college. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. He did. Okay. And, um, and what happens? I mean, take us through it at a high level. When, when does the, when, when do you start seeing some major, uh, red flags and concerns within the within Lucas and then within the family unit. Post high school for all three sons was the same. Was was going from alcohol and weed to the other stuff. That, that's you what say the other stuff. You said opi opioids. What else? Um, heroin. I guess dealing. Certainly heroin for Lucas. Meth. Meth. Um, wow. Yeah, just for a period. He wasn't a meth head, but you know that that entered the equation. So yeah, for the next ten years, uh, for Lucas after high school was in and out of of addiction and, and just going down and up and down and up. He, he barely made it through college. I'm, I have no idea how he even made it through college. <clears throat> he would come home from he would come home for like a long weekend or for a holiday break. You guys had to see some disturbing things from him. Oh yeah, yeah, we knew. You know, we knew you knew would, you knew that we, he was using a, heroin. 
We we did a Thanksgiving. We had a Thanksgiving dinner once, and he was nodding off, which is the classic sign for heroin. Nodding off at dinner, just babbling, just saying stupid stuff. We had a Super Bowl party once. He just fell asleep right there, and his brothers were giving him such a hard time. So you know, it was uh, he went into rehab. We we got him into a detox, which you know is the is the dramatic stuff, and that rehabs rebuilding your life. He lasted three days in rehab. I got him six months in rehab. A great one. <laughs> called cry help and he lasted three days called the girlfriend and got out so you know we saw all the signs in and out did make it through college lost a ton of jobs gets kicked out of his girlfriend's house um comes back to live with us against my advice you know my jo- joyce my wife insisted that we let him you know but and by that point i was like you know what honey whatever you know i'm not i'm not going to draw a line here because if i draw a line and something happens to him Guess who the bad cop becomes? Well, I think you and you talk about that in your prologue, I believe. This is where Joyce looks up to you and says, I, I just couldn't live with myself if something happened to him. Yeah. I mean, that's what are you going to say to that? <laughs> right. You couldn't live with yourself. Well, you also probably can't live with me if something happens to him, was my thought. Right. And yeah, I, I, I don't know, Nate, about several years into this, into post high school. So let's just call Nate uh, Lucas 23, 24. I kind of, um, and I'm not proud of this. I'm not, I'm not proud of this. I just, I, I said, screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm not, <laughs> I'm just, I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna pour myself into work. I, these, these boys haven't listened to me. <laughs> well, uh, and again, the, this is year. I mean, this is going on for, yeah, back in high school it was a little bit less, but let's assume from eighteen to twenty three, twenty four. Now five, six years of intense episodes and issues, and you guys obviously knowing that he had a heroin addiction, you're probably trying everything you can to talk some sense into him. You've got sleepless nights. You're sending him to rehab. He's only there for seventy two hours. He was supposed to be there for six months. I mean, there's probably so many more draining moments throughout the course of, of those six years where at some point you're like, I, I've got to live my life now. Yeah. Yeah. I I especially did because my wife tended towards nurturing more than we were very much on the same page through high school. But as things started to just completely spin out of control, we we pivoted. I kind of went a solo, (laughs) you know, she kind of went hyper nurturing and being there for them and letting letting a heroin addict move back into our house. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? No, you know, but but it, if you draw the line and do the old I couldn't live with myself line, right? I I can't not not be married. For me, you know, we're into we're into this 30 35 years at the time. I was like, okay, if I lose my sons and my wife, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do I have? What right. what 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 do I ha- I've I've lost God, I've lost. <laughs> it's like I'm a shell. Like and I just couldn't. I dig my wife. You know we have a good relationship. So I, it was it was the one thing I was like, you know what? I if you if you want him to move back in, fair enough. I'll I'll work with it. Who did so, yeah. you turn to, Ken, for help during this time? I I mean I, I turned inside to be honest with you. I I just turned eventually. Um, rediscovering God outside of the walls of religion really became important to me. But, you know, I kind of went solo. I bought a camper van 
I started going to the mountains. The Sierra Nevadas are just, which was an incredible mountain range, just a couple hours north of me. Um, you know, I, I spent, I love to hike. Got a great dog named Mumford. Yeah, I mean, we, I'll be honest with you. We spent, a, I spent a lot of time in the mountains and uh, camping, started writing, you know, rebuilding my life. I have a, I have a great job, great career. Thank, thank God. I, you know, I did and do have, have a, a really good, situation. So I certainly had some things there, but as far as family for a while, let's say a good five, seven years, I was like, I I failed at that one. <laughs> that didn't work. Hmm. So you let Lucas move back in against your will, but you knew you really had no choice after the conversation with your wife. And uh, it didn't, it went ex- exactly as you had anticipated it would go. He was only there for how long at that? Uh, with oh, that was that was a couple of weeks. Couple of weeks. That's it. Yeah, he, he was he was messed up by that point. He couldn't hold anything together. And then what happens? Where does he go from there? I mean, he actually did leave and then pull up, pull his life back together for a good solid year. Got a job, <clears throat> doing okay. And then his his girlfriend was going to leave for a, a festival um, one weekend, and then he just completely. Uh, Lost it, fell back, fell off the wagon, got a bunch of heroin, and uh, went on a, a week long bender, heroin bender. And you guys have very little communication with him during this period. You know, I mean, we were in communication. We text occasionally, occasionally. You know, he'd come to Thanksgiving, but yeah. It, there was no, there was no sushi. It was strange. Lunch. It was extremely strange. <laughs> yeah, right? it's like I know you're. Right. You're using so so he goes on a week long bender, and then I assume that this is the moment where the hit and run happens. Yeah, so he goes to work, and his his boss lets him go. So he says you're 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 babbling, you're weird, you're using the bathroom, go to the bathroom every twenty minutes, go home. <clears throat> and uh, on the way home, he took uh, an exit off the freeway that he wouldn't normally take to get home and yes that's where he clipped and rear-ended a cyclist and killed him instantly what happens to lucas after that moment is his he car off the, is his car off to the side or does he just it, it goes off to the yeah he pulls off he was nodding off hit the guy didn't realize what he'd done looked behind him saw the body crumpled on the on the pavement saw someone behind him pull over to take care to attend to this man. And then he zips off. So he flies home. Uh, and, and like an addict does, he believes it may go away. <laughs> Actually goes to work the next day, goes to work the next day, gets relieved again, and then turns himself in that night, about three hours before the cops showed up to his apartment. Because they're, you know, we live in a surveillance society where, you know, there's cameras on every um, traffic light, right? They knew it. They saw exactly what he did, knew exactly what he did. So he turns himself into the cops. And, and yeah, from <clears throat> at that point, they took him to L.A. County Jail. How, how do you guys get the news? We get the news that next morning. So he turned himself that night, actually about three or four or five in the morning. His brother, his younger brother, Chris, takes him to the police station. I think they get there at five. Chris shows up to our house at about six in the morning. 
I'm asleep. Joyce happens to wake up almost like a premonition, walks downstairs. Chris walks in the house and Chris tells her. She then calls me. It wakes me up. And then Chris tells two, the two of us what had happened. Well, what's your wife's reaction when she gets that news? I mean, hysteria. Hysteria. Um, it's not pretty <laughs> at all. I, you know, I, I hear it and I, I have a hard time sitting still, um, period. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I just start pacing and then come up to my, where I'm sitting right now, I get online and see it's already on the news. You know, it was a, it was a well-known school teacher that he killed a junior high school teacher. <clears throat> it's online. Um, I research who the man was and then I go downstairs and I, I, you know, I start freaking out. I, you know, the energy starts to rise in my chest and I start to tear up right here on this very chair where I'm sitting, this very place. And, um, even though I was alone here in my office, I, I, I run downstairs into the garage and I just completely, completely lose it. Um, I think it was the years of of sadness and and defeat, you know, just all of that stuff as a dad. Just you know, it, it was like a pinpoint of of it all coming together, and um, yeah, I just. Just completely lost. I prayed for the widow, prayed for the guy. Um, I didn't pray for Lucas, unfortunately. I, I just didn't. About all I felt towards him was just anger. Um, but yeah, that was uh, lowest moment, lowest moment of my life. Yeah. Not no surprise. Uh, had to be. Uh, the culmination of a decade long full of, of a lot of heartache and angst throughout this whole process. Um, so uh, no surprise there. So, so he ends up, he ends up going off to, to prison, obviously. And the first time you talk to him, what's he like? I mean, is he remorseful or is it so are the drugs so intoxicating that he can't really understand the full ramifications of what's occurred it took a while it took weeks for the drugs to wear off right but yeah i mean it hit him like a, a two by four in four six weeks and i mean he you know he's he's a smart kid he, he, he realized what had happened it, but it took it took weeks so the first couple of visits were weird a lot of tears a lot of just just weirdness it was just weird yeah um but there was a a, a period where uh, i i did my first visit with him alone and we were alone in the visiting room so the visiting room has six swivel chairs and six booths that you pick up a phone and talk through glass right but most times it's filled with inmates with their visitors but this was no no one else it was just me and him and um and, and I, I sensed this, this is, I don't know, four, six weeks into him and the drugs had worn off. And I just sensed something unique about him. And Lucas and I, in spite of all the things I've mentioned, we're super close. 
you know, we're actually a lot alike um, personality wise of all my three sons. He and I are the most alike. Um, and I, I don't know. We were just, it was, it's this beautiful connection. It's a sober connection. His eyes were calm and clear and, and steady. And we just start talking and all of a sudden he, he completely, well, his eyes pooled with tears. His face got really blotchy red. He drops his head and he completely loses it. Come, I mean, heaving so loud. I thought the guard would come in <laughs> and he's, he's heaving sighs. And then he looks at me and he says, you know, pops him. So sorry for you know what I did to the family and he cries some more. And then he, and then he said, I'm so sorry for killing Rod, which was the teacher's name. And I got to tell you, Nate, that, that was a moment for me. I didn't cry. But I, I, I that was a big moment because, he, you know, he said the name. And I knew at that moment that, that something was happening and something was percolating inside of this kid. And then he said the name of the Valerie, the name of the widow, and he apologized for making her a widow. And so we had this moment in prison where in jail, not prison, but in L.A. County Jail, where he did this. And it was it was kind of this turning point of elegance and just beauty. I don't know, a father and a son after all those years, me, him doing that, me sensing that this that this kid is going to actually get real and be a normal human being again there was a a little something there now i'll be honest you know I, it was this real weird rebound in the weeks after that where i actually got even more pissed at him because you know, his honesty almost made me more honest with myself mm -hmm. that aside <laughs> yeah it was this weird thing i actually was more pissed at lucas after this meeting than before. And I believe it's because I was finally able to to just express to my honest self how pissed I was at this. That was a huge release for you. Yeah. That you were holding in for a long time. Holding in for a long time. I just I mean, I'll be honest, Nate. I I journaled and I I actually said I, I hate my kids. I hate that I had kids. I wish I never had them. There was a point after this meeting and, it, and I, I shared this journal, and it's weird. My sons all know it, and they've all read it, and they go, well, yeah, well, I'd hate me too. So it's <laughs> I'm tight with my boys. Right. You know what I'm saying? But but I did. I, I, I mean, it brought me more pain in my life. Yes, joy, but also a hell of a lot of pain. Sure, sure. But anyway, well, that, that's, it was that this sense. period where I got more honest, and I journaled, and I, I just, I, I said, screw this. I'm going to get real here on my journal. And I just started writing things like that. And, it, and I don't know, it helped me, helped me change. Oh, for helped sure. Helped me deal with for it. For sure. You're able to finally be completely truthful with yourself. You, you were releasing a lot. Did you guys ever have, did, did Lucas ever have the opportunity to uh, address Rod's family, the widow, Valerie, and vice versa in a court? Uh, have they talked? You know, yes. In in open court on the day of sentencing, there's a thing called the victim impact statement. So the, the widow is able to to talk about the impact that this has had on her. And that was a touching, touching moment. I mean, uh, 
a moment in my life that was so perfect and 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 ugly and and terrible and and beautiful all at once for this woman this elegant broken woman to stand up and say the things that she said about her husband was just wrenching but lucas was there the cameras were on him you know the, the tv stations were there because the community really wanted lucas to get his ass kicked and he deservedly so because this guy was a beloved teacher and 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 he literally had snot literally like a foot long ribbon out of his nose and his hands were cuffed behind him so he couldn't even wipe his nose and 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 I I must admit I was sitting right behind my son so he's right in front of me the widows to my right at this podium and the judge is up to the left I'll be honest Nate I was super proud of my son because he let his heart show and he let the snot flow down his mouth his nose with cameras whirling and he just didn't care he's like I I hurt this woman so yes and he said his piece after that because the the prisoner the inmate is also allowed to address the court not her although he did address her and he apologized and it was a I don't know it was it it was a, a terrible moment and a beautiful moment all at all at the same if you know what I mean by that oh yeah absolutely and then on the two-year anniversary he also was able to apologize with this well-written well considered over months it just he sent me a copy of the letter we we edit i edited it <laughs> i gave him suggest in other words here's a kid a young man in prison who's done something he never thought he would ever do that he regrets for the rest of his life right he wants to say i'm sorry to this widow right that's not an easy letter to write that's a hard letter to write but he wanted to write it he'd written one at one year but he, this one he wanted really to matter. So yes, he mailed it to her. I don't know if she ever got it. It would be one of the greatest things in my life if to know that she did. But I don't know that I'll ever know that. And of course, I would never be so presumptuous as to expect anything from her. Well, maybe she'll somehow hear this conversation and this interview, and, and who knows? And that's the power of this medium that we're that we're doing right here. Um, and, and again, you, you talk about writing letters. And that let's get close. We're getting close to finishing writing letters. Is, it leads us perfectly into your book. Um, the book is coming out early September. So uh, once it does, we'll have it linked here in the show notes. Letters to my son in prison. How a father and son found forgiveness for an unforgivable crime. Talk to us about the book. So after Lucas broke in that visiting room, we started to write each other letters. Um, and I I got real with him, like real, and he got real with me. We you know, they just weren't, you know, it's it's uh it's 86 degrees today, and we you know, I took Mumford for a walk. You know, it wasn't those letters. I mean, they, that was it at first, and then finally I said, Screw it, I gotta I gotta be me. <laughs> right? I got I gotta um he commented once on the, David in the Bible, how David also killed a man and yet recovered. 
Yeah, so I, I wrote in this detailed narrative about David and Bathsheba and how David recovered. It was kind of cool. It was really cool. I, I thought it was incredible. But he did too. He yeah. got, he's like, Pops, this was awesome. You know, and so we started those kind of letters where he, he did. And then he started reading Dostoevsky, Steinbeck, Vonnegut, you know, C.S. Lewis. And I mean, he completely changed his life. He went to college while he was in prison. Um, worked in the library, wrote, wrote me letters, uh, long, long, seven, eight page letters on legal size, front and back. Um, I mean, letters where I would get bored reading them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they, I mean, it was long letters, like great now, stuff. Now, Ken, are, are these, these letters, the excerpts from the letters actually included in your book? Some are, you know, I didn't want to make the book boring. The book's a story of what happened, but the letters, some of them are. So the David letters in there, one bad letter I wrote in there about Dexter, uh, one of his letters to me called Two Men Contrasting His Daily Life with Mine. That's in there. It's a beautiful letter, by the way. Haunting. (laughs) Really, really cool. Um, But yeah, so some of the letters are in there, excerpts of the letters, but not a ton, to be honest. It's mainly about story about how the letters changed our relationship changed our lives changed his life and me writing them changed my life and and you know we we were able to say things to each other that fathers and sons don't say and i i would never wish this on anybody but having happened lucas and i have have something between us that just fathers and sons don't have even to this day he has a son now finn you know, and when we're together playing pickleball, sometimes we just look at each other like, how did this happen? How are we even here? Well, in the most eerie of situations, in the most, this is hard to put into words, but it's almost as if your son had to take somebody's life in order to save his own. Yeah, that's... That's hard to digest. And it's hard and it's hard for me to say it because I get choked up even thinking about it. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I, I don't have any words for that. Um the way I would put it is Lucas taking another life certainly changed his life. I don't know how God looks at all at the crazy stuff that happens, right? And that's the most perplexing thing about this whole thing is what why did this happen? How did this happen? It happened because it can, of course. But if I, you know, if you asked me, can make some sense of this, I'd be like, you know what? I I would not be so bold. Can I tell you that Lucas changed his life? Yes. Can I tell you that it changed my life? Yes. Beyond that, <laughs> I'll be honest, I I don't presume to speak. I mean, in the, obviously, in the book, I wrestle with this stuff big time. I wrestle with this huge. There's a chapter I write about it. I, you know, I, I completely talk about God and how you know what, how the world, how the you know, how it may make sense. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's very complicated. It's very life is absolutely uh, incredibly. Uh, there's there's sometimes it's it leaves you speechless. There's certain things that leave you speechless. Lucas has been clean since the he went off to prison. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So he's been clean for how many years now? I mean, that was um, 16 to 19. So, you know, six years, 
Six five, years. six years. He and married he got out after just a few years, and he was sentenced to over a couple decades, I believe. He was sentenced to 10, Penny. but California has an aggressive inmate reduction program because they just have too many prisoners. They can't handle it. There's just too many people in prison. So if you do, if you get an AA degree in college, in, uh, a college degree, if you go to this class, if you do this trade, if you do, if you do all these things, what they call milestones, you can whittle your sentence from 10 to six to three. Mm-hmm. He got to three. He did all yeah. those programs. He changed his life and he got out in three. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm just saying that's the system right. that he did. And Nate, I, I will say this, you know, you, you, the way, to your last comment about kind of what do we make of this? To me, it's a mystery. Life is a mystery, though. And I love the mystery of it. I love the fact that you're lost for words. I even dig the fact that I'm lost for words. You, We can try. And, you know, you, you get a beer or two or three in you and, you, you know, you get better. You get more eloquent. In, in figuring. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, but, you know, you just don't know. And it's the mystery. And I... If I've come to anything, it's that. Yeah. Do do I know why this happened in my family? Nope. It's a mystery. Do I know why now religion in the old sense is so unappealing to me and yet God in the new sense is so appealing to me? No, it's a mystery to me. And I just dig the mysteries. I dig the fact that my life is so freaking mysterious that I'm just, I'm just, I don't even, I don't understand anything. And yet I understand a lot. And there's that juxtaposition that I just love. I oh, love that's, it. that's perfectly stated. And uh, throughout all this, it, it's very, it's inspirational stuff. What you guys have gone through, you and your wife and your family, your sons, uh, a lot of dark times, but it goes to show that there are still lights at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's complicated. It's complex. Cause you feel bad that there's a family that, whose life has also been changed forever yep. in, in a negative way. Uh, it's just, again, it leaves you speechless, but um, I think this book will help a lot of people and, and I'm glad you wrote it. And I look forward to reading it myself. Letters to my son in prison. We've linked it in the show notes. Where else can uh, people find you online, social media, et cetera? Uh, my website, kengidros.com. That's where everything will be the book. And I'm going to do a newsletter about, kind of what, what I've learned and stuff like what we just talked about. Almost every subject we talked about. I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you one title that you'll, you'll probably get a kick out of. And it's of an essay I'm going to write. It's called three ways I'm trying not to be an asshole in my sixties. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you stuff go. like that. I'm going to write about and you know, it could stimulate a thought. And if it does, then, then, I, then I'm happy, but that's great. Nate, that's you great. ask great questions. You and what you're doing with your podcast. I dig, I think this is so cool. So thank you. Appreciate thank it. you so much, Ken. I've got one final question for you. Cause we talked about it before. I want to finish with it. What's your relationship like with God today? I dig God, <laughs> the mystery of God. I mean, it's just, it's just the, the thing. It's the subject I, I most love. I love writing st- stuff like what I just told you about, I, you know, talking about my, you know, I'm 41 years married. You know, I got a few things to say about that. I love the fact that I'm super tight with all my three sons and their wives and, you know, all that stuff's great. But to me, nothing, nothing comes close to how I feel about God. Um, and, and, you know, just trying to figure out what, what um 
what does it what does it mean? What does he want? What do I believe about different things? You know, I'll be honest, I believe a lot of what I used to believe and, and some things I don't. But you know, I I'm in a I'm in a really, really good place. Now you may not think so, you know, looking out from the outside. Like if you looked at me and you and you know, you knew my daily life and uh whether I went to church or not, or you know, you may go, okay, that guy, no. No, but in here, me actually I did God and I I I really love where I'm at. I'm not saying I'm perfect or that I have it all figured out. It's still freaking mysterious to me. Mm. But but I'm 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 like loving the mystery. So I know that's a really weird answer, but that's my answer. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful stuff. Ken, hey, uh, awesome connecting with you. Continued uh, best wishes to you and your family. Thank you. Enjoyed it.